I remember taking like the tiny little radio I had. It was like 8.30 at night. I was supposed to be going to bed, but I was like, I'm not going to miss this song. I want to get it like on a tape. And I would take it to the bathroom, make sure I got the tape, brush my teeth, listen to the song, wake up the next morning, listen to the song again. Hey, welcome. You're listening to episode three of My Teeth Need Attention. I'm Joe, your host. Super excited about this episode. Had the opportunity to interview Daryl Norson, accomplished illustrator, graphic designer. Uh, probably the, the person behind some of your favorite records in the past couple of years. I know I did a uh, radio show at the end of last year, the best of kind of of the year, and me and two of my buddies picked some records, and uh, we realized, like, I don't know, three or four of those um, were all designed and, or at least worked on at some point by Daryl. So uh, we're going to have an interview with Daryl a little later in the show. Uh, I'm going to start off with some music on uh, either related to him or on actual releases that he worked on. Uh, we're going to start out with uh, Patrick Shiorishi. Then we're going to get into some Sunburn Hand of the Man. Um, he did the layout of the Patrick release. Uh, Rob Sato did the illustrations and Daryl did the layout. And then uh, the Sunburn Hand of the Man, um, I'm playing something from a release he didn't work on, but... Um, they were kind of instrumental in him getting into the kind of weirdo scene back when he moved first moved to uh, Western Mass or Massachusetts in general. So let's get into it. Uh, we're gonna listen to Patrick Shirishi's track from his LP from last year, I believe, called "Dissension." The uh, track we're gonna listen to is "Above the Black Heavens Is Endless." This is my teeth need attention. Thanks. Thank you. 
welcome back. <laughs> Scorcher. This is uh, Musica Transonic in the background. It's a track that translates maybe to Alchemist Hypig? I don't Music Transonic is, uh, of course, a Japanese heavy psych band, and uh, they name all their um, titles and songs uh, with Greek words. So I tried to translate that, but I that's the closest I gave, came to. That's from the self-titled reissue on Black Editions. Uh, before that, Ask Mother's Temple and the Melting Parasio, Parasso UFO. Also from their self-titled LP, and that was a reissue as well on Black Editions. Uh, before the Sunburn Hand and a Man with Ritual Hex Tape from uh, A Giant Tour of Tunisia on Three Lobed. And before that, starting things off, Patrick Shiarishi with Above the Black Heavens is Endless from the Dissension LP on Thin Wrist. Um, so I played all those because uh, today's guest is Daryl Norson. Um, accomplished uh, illustrator graphic designer and he um, he either worked on all of those or worked with those bands and or labels so um, he is he definitely he did the work on the Musica Transonic and Asa Mother's Temple from a kind of original artwork and uh, the Patrick Shiarishi he did the layout for and uh, Rob Sato did the uh, illustrations on that and then uh, Sunburn Handed Man, he didn't work on that release, but he's done uh, work on various other releases and posters for them. And he has done uh, a bunch of work for Three Lobed as well. So uh, Daryl's going to be today's guest in the interview. It's about an hour-long interview. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, we're going to get to the interview in a second. And then uh, after the interview, I'm going to play a few more um, pieces from releases that are Daryl Norson-related. So I want to thank uh, Daryl uh, for uh, doing this and uh, dealing with my ineptitude when it comes to interviewing techniques. <laughs> so uh, I hope you enjoy it, and uh, let's get to the interview. Yeah, so I want to thank you for uh, doing this podcast again. Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, let's just talk about, I guess... Um, where you went to school. So I was always under yeah. the impression that you went to RIT, but I was incorrect in that case. Yeah, no, I um, hid in Western New York is the best way to put it. Like all you guys were older and uh, no, I grew up uh, south of Rochester in a small town in Caledonia, like so small that we didn't have a traffic light situation. Um, There's a traffic and- circle there, isn't there? Yeah, it's the traffic. The traffic circle dictates the traffic for two major routes in the United States, which is like crazy. I think, literally, like Route Five and Route Twenty cross in Caledonia. Oh yeah, and it's a monument <laughs> that dictates the traffic. There is literally there is not a stoplight in Caledonia, which is like crazy. I think. I think the only stoplight is like on the other side of town, like where the train tracks are. You know, um, and that claim to fame to like Caledonia is that like Teddy Roosevelt like came and like dedicated the monument and uh the other thing is like i mean this is like how podunk our town was that that was one claim to fame the second claim to fame was that they had the fish hatchery which is like the first one in the united states yeah so you can go there and see like trout like pools yeah i grew up there until i was 22 23 somewhere in there um had a chance to go to rit my parents were like, if you're going to go to RT, you're going to live at home. And I was like, no, don't, 
don't want to stay home, but at the same time, like may like since RIT was there, I got to like go see concerts at RIT all the time. Like, um, we've talked about this in the past, but like I saw Sonic Youth there, which was like a massive pivotal moment for myself. Yeah, just be such like a massive band. I realized recently that I saw Hilka there, so that was probably like my first interaction with you and like. I was actually thinking about this recently. Like I remember buying CDs from somebody there and I was like wondering, did you sell CDs? Like, did you have like a little like setup of like carbon stuff there? Oh, I'm sure I did. Yeah. And then maybe uh, selling like other used CDs or something. Like I have a vague memory of buying CDs from somebody like, and like in the stage area. Yeah. Like, yeah. I kind of remember doing that. Uh, yeah. That was what? 96. 90 98 yeah okay yeah yeah because yeah, hilka started after we finished school in 93 yeah yeah. Uh, yeah that was yeah it was a few years late that's i mean that's all the same that's all the same festival like not open up for sonic yeah we yep. played outside yolo tango yep. played outside yep yep yolo tango put me in the same <laughs> realm of yolo tango but yeah, there yeah. was like a bunch of local bands and then there was yeah. a few of the national acts, right? Yeah, I mean, that was like a pivotal day for me to see like so many crazy bands that Karis won played that day too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like our Orange 9mm, the jam, the jam band Mo. I think like when I look back, like that festival is like quintessential Rochester because it's like a melting pot of every kind of music style. Like there was like yeah. ska bands. There was like jam bands, hodgepodge of styles. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. And like the reason I got to go is a friend's mom had tickets, or like she worked for RIT and got us tickets. I think they were like fifteen bucks for outsiders or something like that. Like something yeah. crazy. Yeah. Like I know, yeah, like the campus is going to pay. Is always really cheap. Um, yeah, because that's like the you know student activities would fund yeah. their budget. Yeah. Mm-hmm. normally they would normally they would blow their entire budget on some one act that was usually just stupid idiotic. yeah yeah that was the one year where they actually were economical about it and booked a lot of really good stuff yeah uh, yeah <laughs> i don't think it ever happened again as far as i know i don't think like i don't know i feel like i've asked not, a couple of people no not something like that uh i think yeah. they sort of tried it the year before or after right around that but it wasn't nearly as good as that one yeah. The thing that blows my mind is like how many people I've met later in my life that like grew up in Rochester or were in Rochester at that time that were at that concert. Like everybody, it seemed like everybody in Rochester was there that day. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. you know, to either see Sonic Youth or see somebody else. But right. um, so, yeah, like I uh, did not end up going to RIT, uh, but end up going to Fredonia instead, which is a little more west. Like, Buffalo area, which had like a weird connection with like Flaming Lips, like Steven oh, living yeah. there at the time, you know, like we used to see uh, him in a local bar and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. uh, it, it's what's his name? Dave. Um, yeah. Dave Freeman has studio. Freeman. Right. Yeah. And he was, a, he was a teacher at the school too, which I didn't realize at the time. I didn't know until afterwards. I think it was when I saw the documentary, I didn't know he was like a teacher at the school. I just knew he had a studio down there because like Slater Kinney came through and a couple other different bands we saw like at this tiny little bar called BJ's there. Um, Yeah. So like my like, you know, angsty high school years were spent trying to figure out ways to get to Rochester to see culture. (laughs) It's funny because it's only, it's only like a 15 minute drive or 20 minute drive. Yeah. It's not far. Like don't really like my father lived or not, sorry, not lived. He worked in um, Henrietta. 
So like every Friday night I would go to Henrietta, like we'd go to the mall and have dinner or whatever. And then I would go to Mark's Mark that we both know that had CDS change. Like I would go to his store or like um, some other record store if I can convince my parents to like take me there. So like, you know, Friday nights were like quintessential, like trying to get the hell out of the small town for like a minute and try to like buy up all the CDs or magazines that I could get my hands on. I worked with a bunch of guys who lived down, you know, down along Canisius Lake and stuff like that. We'd always talk about going to the city on Friday nights, but they met Henrietta. (laughs) Yeah. Literally. It's like, you got to go to marketplace mall. (laughs) It was like, you know, it's like wild to think like that was like, you know, cause that, that was like considered the city to me until I was probably like, 18 and i could drive 17 18 years old and i could drive and i would go downtown at that point like the traction of like east ave like uh java joe's and milestones if i could sneak into milestones like one time i was 16 and like this is quintessential what was the radio station in rochester not the the um the independent station was 90.5 ber wb that's what i thought i was like gonna mix it up with um the one wmbr here um but they used to play King Missile all the time. Like that yeah, was like, it yeah. wasn't, they would play they just down a bunch too. King Missile played here. Yeah. Down, I saw them uh, probably four times. I think they probably yeah. played here at least a half dozen times. Yeah. At least like they always play milestones. Yeah. And like the first time I contacted John S hall and I was just like, Hey, I'm 16 years old. I really want to go to this concert and I can't get in. Cause it's like 18 plus. And he's like, okay, cool. You can be my cousin for the night. <laughs> And, like, I literally, like, in the basement, I have my, like, 16-year-old ID because I can't remember who drove us there. Somebody was, like, a little bit older, older, who was, like, plus one. And my ID, my, like, driver's permit says, to my cousin Daryl, John S. Hall. (laughs) That was, like, that's, like, a Rochester nutshell, like, story in a nutshell. You know, it's, like, being young and trying to, like, get a little bit of culture from, like, the small towns that we were. Was that the original location of Milestones? I think I've only ever known the one on. Was, I don't think I ever went to the original one. I, I don't. Yeah, so originally it was uh, just down the block, a block down the street, and oh, okay. it started out as Jazzberries. That was oh, okay. One. I didn't realize it was Jazzberries. Okay. But that, yeah, that Jazzberries means... is where I saw Flaming Lips play. You know, oh, Jazzberries sure. is like the band room was basically like the bug jar. So it's like seeing. Oh, the, wow. It's tiny. Flaming Lips in the bug jar. They yeah. lit the entire ceiling with lights. They had like, they hung. <laughs> I don't know how many strings of Christmas lights that yeah. were sequenced. Yeah. So all of a sudden, like during the show, they all turn on and start doing this like Holy working crap. thing. And what year is that? Is that like 88, 89, somewhere in there? Oh, uh, this is in the 90s. Oh, it's 90s. Okay. So uh, like, yeah, I'm trying Warner to think of, like, who I knew at the time. So when I met them, it was probably like at least 95 or six. It was probably when like, oh, okay. um, when, yeah, it was when the, a couple of those songs, like the She Likes Jelly or whatever. Is that the yeah, right? Yeah. I think it yeah, might have been that record. Yeah. But they were, yeah, they were big, like, yeah. college-wise, but they weren't, like, you know, they weren't playing big venues yet. Yeah. That's wild. I didn't realize they played there. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the crazy thing about Rochester is, like, how many, like, bigger bands, like, played small venues there. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, so uh, Chuck Schumer was here uh two weeks ago i guess <laughs> i saw the photo it was like cracking me up like i thought i was like in the bug jar and he mentioned he mentioned some bands he name checked bands that played the bug jar and like lizzo yeah. was one which i didn't know she played oh there. really and um black keys played there yeah, yeah. Uh, white stripes played there yeah. 
uh, Arcade Fire played there like a month before they won a Grammy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know how they fit in there because they're a big band. Yeah, I didn't see that show. Yeah, and then you know those are all, and then there's like a billion bands that I saw that like yeah, I yeah. love. Um, yeah, yeah. Famous like those guys, but I mean, I can think of like. I feel like I could rattle off all the bands I saw that like changed my life, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like a Wolf Eyes show. Like, I think you guys played with Wolf Eyes once, like, yeah. Pango. Yeah. like I remember it was like, that would have been like early Oh four, maybe late Oh three. That show was like nuts. There was a Rob Mazurik show that I remember. It was like black. Oh yeah. Black goat orchestra, black, black, something, black. I can't think what the name of that one was. That was like a nuts show. Like I remember being like mind blown, like walking out of that show, Mel banana. The Mel Banana show was like fucking insane. <laughs> multiple times. They were weird, yeah. man. They would come to town and that was one of those bands that like, you know, that skin graft and there wasn't like, yeah. me and my buddies were in that label a lot and we had a few friends that were into it and we had a couple metal friends who were like, you really should be into this label more than, or there should yeah. be more metal dudes into skin yeah. graft, you know? But Melt Banana was that crossover. So you'd go to that yeah. show and it was like a metal show. It was like yeah, all metal dudes. I remember seeing like all the dudes there. Like, I mean, I guess this is kind of like, I don't remember when Mastodon started, but I remember seeing like, it's a lethargy, like do yeah. some like lethargy being there. Uh, I just like, what I remember that show is that the room was so full that it was spilling out into the other room. Mm-hmm. And like, people are like trying to crowd in, but then there was like people like crowd surfing from the other room into the main room. I could see that. Like, it was just like one of those nights that was like, holy shit, this set's only like 35 minutes long, but like it felt like forever and everything happened in that 35 minutes of just yeah. like absolute insanity, you know? So in between like growing up in Caledonia and then being in Fredonia, I studied design in Fredonia and that's kind of like where I got my initial early schooling. I guess the best way to put it. Like, yeah, I was going to ask you that. Like, yeah, yeah. How, how did you start coming across like underground music? I mean, BER would help. Not that it's yeah station but i mean compared to where i grew up yeah i would have loved br like i would have got into yeah music way earlier yeah. than i did i mean it, like wbr was like hands down the initial reason for sure i mean i like vividly remember like brushing my teeth and taping shows off of wbr at the time like my like i had the quintessential like older brothers no i didn't have an older brother but like friends had older brothers so like i would go to their house and they would have like all the iron maiden and molly crew tapes and all that kind of stuff and like as time went on i like collected all that kind of stuff but then i kind of like started hanging out with like another friend whose father was like her stepfather like i don't i can't really, like i have like i think he like went to europe at some point like post high school like late 70s kind of thing and was like traveling around so like one night we were, I was staying at his house and his dad like brought all, all his records and he had like the first clash record, um, the residents, um, God, what else was in there? Like B 52s, like all this, like kind of like n- new wave punk kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And let us like play all that. So that was like kind of my introduction to like what was beyond like MTV, like current yeah. MTV. Like, not, like, what's up? How old were you at that point? 11. 12. I mean, I heard the residents way too young, like way, way too young. And I'm still obsessed with the residents. Like they're like hands down one of my favorite bands. Like not a a whole, they're a hole in my catalog. I I don't, I mean, I know very little about them. I don't even know Uh, where you like, I mean, you can start with like, um, you know, 
a duck stab or like fingerprints or um, the first album, like where it's like more like weird, no wave kind of shit. But like, then you get into like the late 80s stuff and it's like, you know, there's like disco records. There's like just noise, the kind of noises kind of records. I don't know. It's like such a bizarre catalog, but um, yeah, I had like this friend's dad and like older siblings, like turned us on to like all this weird stuff. And I think that's like about the time I started listening to W and uh, WBR and um yeah just like you know i like I, like i was gonna say is like i remember taking like the tiny little radio i had it was like 8 30 and i'm supposed to be going to bed but i was like i'm not gonna miss this song i want to get it like on a tape <laughs> and i would take it to the bathroom make sure i got the tape brush my teeth listen to the song wake up the next morning listen to the song again listen to it like on the bus and i can't even tell you what song it was that i was obsessed with maybe it was a Tim missile song or whatever it was but like you know, that radio station hands down was like super pivotal for myself and friends, like in this tiny little town. Cause I was just like, Oh shit, there's like more to listen to beyond like what we're being fed, like on daytime, like MTV. Yeah, yeah. And then like, you know, you get a little bit older and then, like 120 minutes. And that's when you find out about like Sonic youth and pavement and, you know, flaming lips, butthole surfers, yada, 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 all that kind of stuff. But like, at the same exact time, I was still too young. Like, my parents wouldn't let me go see concerts because we were just like, you're 14. Like, we can't <laughs> let you go to, like, the city to see, like, some band at 10 o'clock on a Monday night. Like, that's just not going to happen. And I'm, like, still mad at them that they wouldn't let me go see Primus with the Meat Puppets, like, in 95, 96 in Buffalo. Like, a friend's dad was, like, taking my friend out there. He's like, we have an extra ticket, extra car seat. Like, you can go. My parents were like, No. So I never got to see the original lineup of the Me Puppets until like 2010 or later or something like that. It was like when you got to Fredonia, um, like where because that was me. Like I met, I started meeting all these other people, and they started turning me on to all sorts of other music. Oh yeah, Everybody yeah. Everybody turned me on to all things yeah. Chicago, like loud rock. Yeah, you know that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, I remember the first week I got to school. I was playing a resonance record in my room and a kid walked by and he's like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and he's like, come down to my room and look at my record collection. And he actually had records. I had CDs, but this kid, Kurt actually had records and he had, um, trout mass, Re- trout mass replica. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I had never heard beef heart until like that week. So the first week of school, I heard like beef heart and like insane beef heart. And I even like garage rock beef heart. Like, yeah. And like, that's an album from me. I, it's so difficult for me to digest. Like I can listen to difficult music, I think like most of the time, but that record, like is still so fucking unsettling for me. Like, and it's been 20 some odd years that I was first, since the first time I heard that record and I can't hang with it. I just, it, yeah. like, it does not like, it, like I can listen to like a crazy resonance record or whatever, and then go listen to that record. And I'm like, Oh man, there's just something about this record. Like it just like, like makes me feel like anxious and like terrible and i don't know what it is like i can't pinpoint it and the crazy thing is like many many years later like two years ago i got to work with eric slick who's a member of like dr dog and some other bands but he's a zappa freak so he had kale who did trump mass Radica, do an album cover him for him so like i got to do the layout on this record that kale did like the album cover oh, for wow. And I was like blowing my mind because I'm a Zappa fan. And I was like, you know, he did so many quintessential Zappa albums, but like his main album that he's known for is this Beefheart album that I can't freaking hang with. Like, I can't, like, I just 
cannot hang with that record and i don't know what it is like i can't pinpoint it anytime i put it on i'm just like no five songs in i'm out you know i have to listen to more b-fart i have uh you know so i got that because that's a band i I didn't really listen to for a long time my buddy john was like you really should listen to this stuff because you know when i first heard us maple i was like what the hell are these guys doing i don't know if you're familiar with us you know um and i like the band that those guys were in before that too and I was like, what the hell? It's like so it's like deconstructed rock, right? Yeah. And yeah. he's like, Oh, that's beef heart. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, there's a live um there's a live uh performance that I just watched again on YouTube last week. Yeah. It's them playing and it's just amazing that you know, a lot of people have talked about this like that it seems they're randomly just jamming and playing yeah. each guy is playing different songs, but it's all completely worked out and very yeah. precise. Um, and yeah. it's kind of like, if you listen to us maple, then you can hear that. What, yeah. What they pulled from beef heart. Yeah. Uh, which is disjoint. <laughs> yeah. So disjointed. Yeah. And it's funny. Cause like I can hang with a beef heart albums. Like I love safe as milk. Like my decals off baby. Like, I think that's a fantastic album um clear spot i think is great but that particular one like is just like it's like a hole for me i just can't like go down that hole like it's, just, it's bizarre <laughs> but like yeah like getting to fredonia and then seeing like other people's like record collections slash like what they were into visually like because like fredonia is middle of freaking nowhere like we were in between buffalo and in between erie pennsylvania yeah. but predominantly the amount of kids that came there were from new york city so like it was like this weird melting pot of like these kids that had like the other side of New York that had like much different um, influences. I guess the best way to put it, like when I talk, like my wife grew up on Long Island and we talk about like, you know, how we experience different things. And like, we grew up at the same exact time, you know, like, cause she grew up closer to the city. So she had like, a different opinion, a different music, you know, while I like had like this opinion about like a certain thing, she's like, well, when I grew up and like heard this song, like, you know, it was normal, you know, <laughs> like it was just, and I was like, no, they only played it like t- after 10 o'clock on the radio stations in Rochester. Cause it just like, wasn't normal, you know? And, uh, but it was funny. Cause like in Fredonia, cause like you got to meet all these people that like had different influences, different like upbringings and, um, everybody came there and like bands it's funny because it was a music school like if you didn't go to eastman you went to fredonia basically because like they were like is equally prestigious in the music school side of things but like maybe fredonia skewed more like traditional while eastman could be like a little more out um depending what your your interest was eastman's considered not i mean now i think it's a little more out but at the time like in the 90s i had friends who went there and they were like it's so conservative. Like they were, yeah. they felt really stifled by it. But yeah, there's like, a, it's always a spectrum of that, right? It's weird because like I definitely was friends with a lot of people at Eastman at the time that I was going to Fredonia, mm-hmm. and they were much more. I think maybe it was like personally what they were into was like much yeah. more out than like what the teachers were being in that were the teachers were teaching maybe. But like at Fredonia, it was just like oh, this is like all classical, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. Like basically everything is like pretty straightforward classical. And like and it was cool to see and cool to cool to witness and all that kind of stuff. But there was definitely a lot of kids that were like um anxious to do something different. You know, like I like I, I had a friend that was like doing like a duo. It was just him on guitar and a, his friend on drums. 
And like in like I look back at it now, it's like kind of a proto lightning bolt kind of thing. But we didn't know who lightning bolt was. Like yeah, so, yeah. this is like ninety nine, two thousand, somewhere in there. And like I didn't hear lightning bolt for the first time until like two thousand two, two thousand three, or whatever. And I heard it, and I was like, oh, this is like what my friend Tyson was doing, like in the jam room like they would just like take a room and just like get all their shit in there and then just like make noise and go crazy and all that kind of stuff you know um lightning bolt was way better but (laughs) more rhythm but it was like the idea was just like making something different than like what was traditionally going on on campus like yeah well just the um, idea of like a duo like that yeah you know i mean at the time when lightning bolt came out like all these bands coming out of providence and risd kid There was all these duo bands and you're yeah. like, what is the deal? Yeah. <laughs> right? like, Why is this? You know, even, you know, I was in a weird music, but I always felt like you had to be at least a trio, right? You needed to have bass yeah. guitar and drums, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm still... Bands and you're like, all right, screw it. Like, I still, like, I love Lightning Bolt. Like, I'll go see like, Lightning Bolt anytime they come through. But, like, my favorite of that stuff is still Black Dice. Like I can just like oh, yeah. the black dice all the time. Like just hearing like beaches and Canyon for the first time. Like what is that? Oh, three, Oh four or whatever. That blew my fucking mind. Like I listened to that record for like weeks on end. Like it's just nuts. Like I didn't know anything like that could exist. You know, and then, Did you ever see a uh, lightning bolt live. Yeah. I saw them four or five times. Like oh, right wow. when I moved here, I actually took my now wife it was like one of our first dates. I took her to a lightning bolt show. <laughs> Terrible idea. Um, I'm surprised that she's like even with me at this point after that. Uh, it smelled horrendous. Uh, it was loud. I think, uh, who opened that one? I can't remember if DMBQ was on that tour or if it was like another like Japanese band. Might have been Afro Rampo or something. Because every time they came through Boston, they always had a Japanese band with them. So I got to see like some pretty crazy bands open for them. But uh, yeah, her older brother is a musician and owns a record store in Seattle. And she told him like she went and saw Lightning Bolt and he was like, who the fuck are you dating? <laughs> and, like, like, why are you dating this guy? <laughs> and like, he was like into that kind of stuff. But he was just like, why are you dating like somebody that's like into this like insane shit, you know? And it's like, yeah and it's it's so like i mean i could pinpoint people that like made that change so like i was at fredonia studying design but then i'll come back during like off time or like extended vacations and i was working at mark's store at cd exchange there in henrietta mm-hmm. and there was a guy named andy stifler that would come in all the time and he would just like go through the racks and he's like oh you should like check out this like can album or this fahey album or like you know, there was like a Holger Zuge one in there that was like really nuts. Like a picture, like I can't think of what the name of it was, but it had like a drawing on the cover. It was like a little dude. And like, so he would just like kind of like start making these stacks for me. And he was just like, you should check this out. Check that out. And then I would check it out and be like, oh, this is really insane. And he's like, okay. And then he would come back like a week later. And like, this is like insane to admit. And I'm surprised Mark like didn't like get pissed off about it or whatever. But basically like Andy would come in and have like a stack of like 20 burned CDs. <laughs> and be like yo check out like this john zorn album because i think you would love it you know it would be like the first masada album or whatever and then more fahey kaiki like all that kind of stuff and then he was like oh come to the bob shop like on friday like michael hurley's playing there or like john dakai with adam lane that crazy quartet that he had that came through like twice and blew my mind or he would be like oh check out sun Ra." 
like, have you ever heard Sun Ra? And he was like, and I was like, no. And he'd like come back a week later and be like, 20 more CDs of like Sun Ra homes, you know? And I was still buying stuff from Mark. Like, I'd be like, oh, Mark, this is sick. Like, I'll order like five of that guy's record or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then so like, start hanging out at the Bop shop. And he's like, oh, this is Otto. And everybody knows Otto these days. Yep. Um, and Otto is like, oh, like, Sunburn Hand and Man played the show at the Tonic in New York City I saw last week. They're freaking nuts. Like, you should check out them. Or, like, I mean, he introduced me to Pango because, like, a Nervous Splendor came out and, like, there was copies of Bob Shop. And he's like, yo, you got to buy this record. This record's freaking nuts. And they're local dudes. And, like, that is still, like, one of my favorite records ever. Like, that Thanks. that record, like, and there's, like, the drone moments. There's the Fahey moments. There's, like, the noisy moments. Like, yeah. it is, like, one of the best records, in my opinion, of, like, that era of, like, that kind of, like, music, you know? Like, um I know I'm like fawning over a person that's on the record, but like, you know, but like Otto introduced me a ton of stuff. I was going to like every other record store that I could go to in Rochester. If it was the archive or fantastic or um, what else? Like we talked about analog shock before I never made it to analog shock before they closed Lake shore. I would go to Lake shore like every Friday. I like had a job post college like, so I finished, like, my design studies there and, like, got a job at, a, like, a print factory in, like, Greece. And, like, Xerox used to, like, kind of filter, like, all their new equipment to this place. So I kind of got, like, this, like, I studied design, then I got to study print for, like, a year and a half, almost two years afterwards, and, like, learn how to, like, properly set up files and all this kind of crap. And that job started at, like, three in the afternoon and go to, like, midnight. So, like, I'd work until midnight, sleep until, like, eight o'clock in the morning or whatever wake up and then just go to record stores like all day and then go to work do the same damn thing all over again and it was just like the education of like a find out about different labels different musicians but then visually being like oh this is really interesting what the hell is going on here like what is this record what is this band what is this label yeah and like that definitely like built my career of like you know how did this person do this? Like, what, what's the story behind this? Yeah, is that when you, um, like, when did you get the idea that you could do album artwork and it'd be, uh, you know, I either part of your entire career? I guess it was, like, kind of partially in Fredonia because I was definitely bartering posters, like, poster design. And, like, I found some, re- I found some on a disc recently and they're terrible. <laughs> but it's funny to like look at them now and I'm like damn that took me like three hours to do and like I got paid in like five CDs from the bookstore you know like somebody would just be like okay I'll like go spend my extra money on my account and give you like a couple CDs for it you know right. and um because nobody had money uh <laughs> but I think at that time like it was definitely when I moved to Boston post Redonia, I moved here in 04. So I've been here 17 years at this point and fell in kind of with the sunburn dudes. It was about that time. Cause I, they, they were doing everything by hand, you know, like all their early yeah. stuff was all like, you know, John or Rob or rich. Like they were all like making those one by one silk screening or whatever. I realized that was kind of like a normal thing to do, you know, like maybe I didn't think it was like normal to be an album artist. Like, I definitely, like, we had a teacher at Fredonia that did, like, a couple Doors records, which is, like, kind of crazy. Like, he was the ceramics teacher, but, like, he studied design in the 70s and got a job at Electra. 
And so like he did like a couple like doors like comp albums like greatest hits albums and like so like when he found out we were into music that was like his gateway into like talking to us was like oh hey i did a couple doors records and i was like oh that's fucking sick i love the doors (laughs) like bob you're way cooler than i thought you were i thought you were kind of a prick um but you know it definitely like wasn't until like the early mid oh like 2000s when i was here and i think the first one i did like I was doing posters, like John got me to do some stuff for like Sunburn. Like there's some wolf eye posters I did and like some magic markers, like all kind of like surrounded by like Sunburn stuff. And then there's John at a Portland Records. So Portland Records is just outside of the city here. Like he lives up like about 40 minutes north of the city. And he was like, oh, I have this like LSD March album coming out. Like you should do the artwork for it. So like I did like three or four lsd march albums maybe there's, yeah i think there's like three of them um so that was like my earliest design stuff like that was like actual physical release you know and then there's like some smaller stuff like adam richards that's in buffalo that has house of alchemy i did like a few things for him like in the early, like early mid 2000s um but like i think like i kind of have like two two phases in my career so the, there's like the early phase where like I was doing posters and it was like more underground stuff and like had some lucky things like doing a poster for like Sonic Youth or a poster for like Dinosaur Jr. or whatever. And um, those are like still massive pivotal moments for me that like, oh, this is like something feasible I could do. But at the same time, that was like a moonlight gig. Like I was definitely doing those like post nine o'clock at night. Didn't have kids, recently married kind of stuff. Like there was like no worries in the world. Like, so like making money off it. <laughs> I think like making money was like the ultimate like goal, but like, it was just, it was fun. It was just like one of those things like, oh, then I get to print a bunch of these and then they put them on the table. And like, it was like, a, like a, not a no pressure kind of situation. It was just more yeah. like, this is cool to do. And like, and you had your, like day jo- you, your day job was. Yeah. And my day job was like my insurance and paying all the other shit. Yeah, yeah. And like, I spent like a decade working in like footwear and like designing like like booths for like trade shows or like ads that would go into like running magazines or like catalogs and all this kind of stuff, all this print craziness or wrapping buildings and graphics at like trade shows and all that kind of stuff. Like, um, and then still continually moonlighting, but like never taking it like too serious. It was just more like I had Adam and I had John and then there was this guy, Jeff and Belgium that, um, he did like the Corsano album that we were like, we talked about like, a couple of weeks ago. Like there was the flower Corsano DVD. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then there was like a Tony Conrad one that I did with him. And then there's Maxime and, um, Paris that I was working with at the time and doing some posters for him. And like, he had a record, he has a record label. So I was doing some stuff for them as well just like simple layout stuff, like nothing crazy. But then in 2017, I was laid off from Clark's, the sneaker company, boot company. And I was just like, I can't look at a father, like another fucking shoe design thing. And like, I was like kind of burnt out and I was just kind of like, this sucks. I don't know if I really even want to do this anymore. But at the same time knew that I still love design. Cause I was still doing like these things on the side. And a friend was like starting to work for light in the attic records at the time. And he's like, Hey, we have this like big anniversary project coming up. And we know like you've wrapped buildings in like design before. And they're like, and this project, like we're going to do like massive posters. They're going to take over like the London tube. So like there was like 
five posters of like this like 15th anniversary light in the attic um uh design that basically like was like betty davis and Thomas van zandt and uh, i think the monks was like one of them that we did and they went up like in the london too it was like so crazy to see like there's like a monks one where like he's getting his like head shaved you know and it's like this is like light in the attic 15th year anniversary kind of deal and uh, then there was like billboards in like Los Angeles. And the whole thing was like, well, we know we knew you did like these big graphics for these other companies. We've only ever done album art. So like, can you do these for us? I was like, yeah, sure. Like whatever. And then uh, it went really well. And they're like, oh, we have this Blaze Foley thing coming out. Like, would you do a Blaze Foley album art for us? And I was like, yeah, that sounds fun. And it's like consistently just snowballed from that point. Like there's the stuff for like Light in the Attic, but then I kind of like started doing poster art again and people were like oh this is like kind of weird like what who what who are you (laughs) like and like there's still like some people that think I'm like 20 years old you know because they're like oh you just like oh you're new on the scene or whatever it is like new on this music design scene like really yeah I've had people and they're like oh I thought you were like 21 and like just out of school and I'm like no I'm 40 I've just been doing this a really long freaking time, but like never like because your name's been around for a while. I mean, yeah, I think like in certain like groups of people, like you and I. Yeah, I guess like, it's that. It's yeah. it's the certain yeah. underground. Yeah, it's like been beyond. Like it's like new stuff with like working with Grateful Dead stuff or Fish or yeah, yeah. um, like this Nancy Sinatra stuff I'm working on. Not that was like through Light and Addicts at my age, but like you know, a lot of people are just oh, I just thought you were like young and like how the hell do you do so much of it? I don't know. I don't know how I do so much of it. Like, that's the crazy thing is like, I literally have a list right now. That's like double digits of things that need to like happen. Yeah. And like with various labels. So yeah. How, how many, um, how many really, so um, we did a year end show on my radio yeah. show with John and John from Pengo and yeah. Chad. And uh, we came up at our year end and we were kind of like trying to stump each other on our records. And yeah. we realized out of, I don't know, we played probably about 15 or 16 records in like yeah. two hours and it was three or four of them that were your covers from last yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, it's pure luck. Yeah. <laughs> like, Cover, Scrolls, Patrick, yeah. Shirishi, uh, what was the other one? Garcia Peoples. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. How many, how many projects, like how many covers did you do last or that came out oh. last year? I lot. don't have, I had never done an official number. Couple dozen. Yeah, at least. Yeah. At least a couple dozen. There's still some that people haven't seen that are not out yet. Yeah, right. As right. well. Like they're like things you'll see like in the next couple of weeks or whatever or a few weeks. Yes. Yeah. I saw you um, just mentioned uh doing a six organs um Yeah. Like so a, there was actually, is that an OB strip? Is that like the wraparound card thing? Yeah, OB is like the wraparound thing. So actually like right? that got announced yesterday, which is really cool. Yeah. Um Ben, I've known geez, Ben I've known not long after i came here to be honest i met him at a devondra bain Bainhart show of all things um like he was opening for devondra then he came back through maybe it was like a couple months later yeah i guess it was like a few months later and played a small gallery show with chris corsano and then john maloney from sunburn got up and they like literally decimated the room like quintessential like sunburn situation where they started wrestling and like and be emptied like the small ass gallery into the street and that was the um, School of Flower tour. So, you know, they play like Thicker Than Smokey. And like basically that whole album was just like this insane show. 
And so it's like, it's been really wild to reconnect with some of these people I've known for like 15 years, you know, we've been in the same circles or whatever. And so Corey from three lobe has this 20th anniversary thing going on. And so I helped him with like the branding of it. And I've helped him do like the OB strips and, uh, but then like done some background stuff too as well. So like the new six organs that was announced yesterday, Ben along with his bandmate, Rob Fisk, Rob from like Badger Lore and then also from Deer Hoof did like all the photography, did the initial design, but then he was like, Hey, like I, I need somebody to like prepare this file, you know, for like print. Like I have all this stuff. We just like need to like get it into the, the file that needs to go to print. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, you know, I have small credits like that. I have bigger credits, like doing whole albums or whatever, but like, it's all, it's all equal to me in some way, you know, like right. I just have fun doing it. So like, you know, Garcia people's album, like that last one that came out last year, I, I think I did that in a day, like a long day, maybe two days. I think I did like two rounds of it, basically. Like I had all the stuff pulled because I work like I predominantly still work the same way that I worked like 15, 16 years ago when I first moved here, where I just like collect random things from like magazines or books or whatever I'm like looking at online and then like try to destroy them or augment them enough that like it's my own thing. Like I do you do that I, all in like, do you scan just to get into the process a little bit? Yeah. Do you do all that like digitally? Like, yeah, everything's scan digitally. Everything and then yeah. you start manipulating. Yeah. Okay. And like coloring up like an illustrator in design or whatever it is. Like I would love to do more stuff hands-on. Like my background, when I first got to Fredonia, we spent the first year like hand copying everything. Like we would do hand comp of like the whole Helvetica al- alphabet. So like you'd have to draw it in pencil, then have to paint it in and gouache and it definitely like broke a lot of people like you know there was like 60 kids in the program and then by the time four years later there was only 15 of us yeah like 75 people that started the program or 75 percent of the people that started the program were out by the time that we finished it you think that's just like um yeah for sure like i mean i wouldn't be surprised if 50 percent of them dropped out in the first like semester yeah you know because like that's too bad because like typography is not for everyone yeah right like no i had had a couple graph design friends that one one woman was just obsessed with typography yeah so it was great because you know she worked on really quote boring corporate stuff but she got into the typography of it yeah my other friend was more you know yeah and didn't really care about you know enough to get by yeah because like we had type class then we had design class so it was split in two so like the type class you did just type yeah and then design class, like we were drawing, like, how do you break down like a mailbox into like four elements or whatever it is. So like, it was basically like trying to like simplify everything to like the most minimalist approach. And like my teachers were like people that loved like Massimo Vignelli and like Milton Glaser. And, and I felt like I spent those four years like fighting everything that they were trying to teach me. Cause like, I knew I was obsessed with like what album art looked like what like San Francisco sixties artwork looked like. Yeah. And I knew design could be more than like what they were teaching me. So like by the time my four years were done, I'm surprised I didn't quit at some point. Cause I was just like, this is not like for me, even though I know I'm good at it and my grades reflected it. But like at the same time, I was like, I don't want to fucking design in universe or Helvetica my whole damn life. <laughs> like, and I yeah, don't yeah. want to work in red and I don't want to work in black. <laughs> And it's funny because like half the shit I do these days, I start in black and white. Like I just like everything's like built in black and white and then I go in and I color it afterwards. And like even yesterday, like I was working on this project with Unseen Worlds. It's going to come out later this year. 
I was trying to match type on a 1970s record. I'm like, I was, I'm pretty good with type. Like I can like picture it and be like, Oh, that one's Futura. That one's Helvetica. Or like that's some random obscure one that I know I have in a book and I'll find it. And then like, I'm messing around with this one yesterday. I was like, what the hell is this like font? Like I cannot figure out what this font is. And then I was like, it's freaking Helvetica. And it's like compressed Helvetica. And it's like this seventies variation that like nobody's ever seen. Like people know what it is, but like the freaking cue was like throwing me off. And I was like, I'm like digging deeper to try to match it. And I got it matched. But the fun thing about it is that like this album, the type on it is like, for the lack of a better description, it's bad type, but it's great type because it looks different. It's all hand done. And like somebody was using like letter set or whatever they're using to lay it out at that time, whatever that person personally had. And so like going in and doing each individual letter and matching it to like what a 1970s jazz record looked like is amazing. Cause like, to me, I'm like, wow, why did they current it that way? Like that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Or why is there like four stops in between like that person's name, you know? So like seeing the breakdown of like how, you know, for lack of a description, like an unprofessional designer did something back then, you know, like they worked with what they had at hand, which is still the way that I still personally work. Like I go into my closet and I have a box of stuff of things I've like torn out of magazines, things I've torn out of books, excuse me, or wherever. And um, that's how I work. I just like take things out and I lay it in front of me and I'm like, that could look interesting together, piece that together with that thing, that type could look interesting with it. And that's, like, I mean, the Garcia Peoples or the Silver Scrolls is, like, the perfect example of that. Because, like, my idea was, like, I wanted to start doing, like, these, like, kind of, like, fully immersive, like, album covers where it's, like, back to front. And there's, like, you know, being obsessed with people, like, Storm that used to do, um, like, the Pink Floyd albums. Like, you'd fold those out. Okay. And the whole thing is, like, this crazy, like, story from back to front. Or, like, Barney Bubbles from, like, Hawkwind or whatever. Like, his stuff is, like, insane they're like some of the best album covers ever because you open up a full hawkwind album and it's like four feet wide <laughs> or whatever two two feet two feet by two feet it's like a massive poster for that um is it in search of or is it yeah i think it's in search of that's the one that way um and i wanted to start doing more stuff like that and it's funny like how many people have approached me after seeing those albums you know like garcia peoples isn't like like everybody knows who Garcia Peoples is, but they see that album cover and they're just like, holy shit, what's going on there? And it's like, yeah. well, I found like 10 different things that I thought would look interesting together and I just melted them all together. <laughs> like, I mean, it's pretty striking looking. Yeah. You know? And if you're walking through a record shop, you're going to notice it. Yeah. You yeah. Know, pop out. Yeah. Yeah. All and the same thing with like Silver Scrolls. Like, yeah. Um, I mean, with Silver Scrolls, like that was so intimidating for me because he's from Polvo. And they had like Bruce Leischer do like their albums back in the day. And like Bruce to me, like is one of the best graphic designers ever. Cause he did like early REM albums, early camper van Beethoven. There's all that crazy stuff like on his independent press stuff. That's like wild, you know, like he like, is kind of, you know, post psychedelic post punk melting pot of design. And like, he works again, works with what he has evolve at hand like he would find like found images or use the type that he collected like it's not like he like one day all of a sudden had like thousands of pieces of type he had x amount of type that he was able to work with on his letterpress you know Uh, right yeah so like his i mean his design does he do everything in letterpress so like when he was laying stuff out for polvo was he yeah 
like I always wonder when it comes to a letterpress guy, like a designer who then does their own printing, like do they quote restrict their design to what's available to them? You know what I mean? Because yeah, like typesets, right? Are you know? Yeah, what he has tricky to talk about what he's done because like. I like now like in letterpress these days like everything's like polymer plates so like you can basically like take any design that you want to do and send it actually the polymer like one of the main polymer plate guys is in Syracuse and like so you do everything like in Illustrator or Photoshop or whatever it is and like you send it to him and he makes a plate for you do you remember that technology flexography it's kind of like that yeah okay. yeah it's like and i actually tried to do something reflexology recently um and not many people do it anymore but i did notice that like the new godspeed album is done that way and i was like oh really who, who the fuck did that i need to find <laughs> out and i actually know already- like william that runs union pool is the one that did the design on that and i have like a mental note to reach out to william and be like yo who did the album cover on that because like i've been told that like like even like Stoughton, like uh, like Peter the from Black Editions, is like a print nut. Like he always has like in, insane ideas of how he wants to do the packages. I was like, oh Peter, we should do this one all in like thermography. Like it would be amazing. Like have that like relief look to it. And um, and he's like, nobody does it. Nobody will, nobody will do it on a record. And that was like two months ago. I mentioned that to him, and then the Godspeed album gets like announced, and I'm like, it's freaking there. Like somebody's uh-huh. doing it, and I don't know who's doing it. I don't know if they had to like send it out to like somebody in particular that did it. Like I, I need to find out because I would yeah. love to do that. Cause I think that texture feels like something I always like want to get further into my artwork. Like, you know, if somebody tells me like, Oh, we can do like, um, like a relief to it. And like, there's like a Jim Solvin record that I did with light in the attic that like has, like we did his name and in, in relief. So you can actually feel that texture of his name. It kind of pops out a little bit further. Yeah. yeah. I'll always jump at that because I want the artwork to feel like I want you to feel it, you know? Oh, well, yeah, the Black Edition stuff, you do a lot of uh, uh, varnishes, right? Is that a... Yeah, a lot of that is so... Like with Patrick Schrosi's one, that was a varnish on that, which actually came out really cool. We weren't sure, like, how that was going to, like... Because those the album cover... The album art is done by this game, guy named Rob Sato, who's friends with Patrick. And um, Rob... I don't even know. There might be like 80 different drawings on that cover, whatever. I think it's like 10 across, eight deep or whatever. And Peter was like, oh, I want to do like a gloss on it. So you have that texture feel, but we weren't sure how much it was going to bleed because there's such fine details on it. But when that album came and I got to hold it for the first time, it was just amazing because it almost like, it felt like bubble gum in a weird way. Like you kind of can rub your hand across it and like you feel like all the divots, all the, like, the drawings that Rob did. And it's just like so amazing to hold that extra amount of texture in a record. Otherwise, like if we didn't do that, it would just went. Fl- it would look. It would look great. You know, it still would look like a really cool record. But that extra amount of like varnish, mm-hmm. it like really sets it off. You know. Um, yeah, I mean that last batch. The last batch that uh, VDSQ put out. Like yeah. The, the Noyes record that you worked on, yeah. and Donald Miller, and yeah, um, Chuck Johnson. But yeah, they all have this feel. I mean, their packaging is, yeah. you know, super yeah. heavy, like tip-on covers. Yeah. Like those guys kind of spare no expense. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how they do it. It's like the first Acid Mother is one that I did with them. 
which like could be a whole podcast on itself to talk about like the process behind that because the photography was like mid nineties digital photography. So like early photography was our source photography, early digital photography was our source photography. And they're not, it wasn't good. Like, you oh, know, like, it was, mother, yeah. yeah, it was like pretty terrible shape just because that's digital photography at that time wasn't great. You know, like it was super pixelated. It didn't have much detail, but like we wanted to clean up the cover and make it look more interesting. And so we had to work with what we had. And then Peter wanted to add like uh, glosses to it. Uh, I think there's like eight Pantone colors, like spot colors on it or something with the varnish. And I was just like, Peter, this is insane, dude. Like this is just like not normal. Do you, and you, um, um, do you work with the printers at that? Like who, who's interacting? Cause I'm sure the printers are having tons of questions yeah. when it comes I to mean, I'm surprised like, we didn't break Stoughton at that point. Like, yeah. oh, that, know, like, Stoughton, like Stoughton press does all their pressings. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I follow them on Instagram. I love watching, like they put out yeah. little videos every once in a while. Yeah. Like, oh, that's the place that's doing really cool packaging. Yeah. Most of the time when I'm, you know, I do uh, LP covers, I'm usually going simple. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like trying to keep my costs kind of down. Uh, and I mean, I normal. Whatever packages, <laughs> the pressing, like I just go through the pressing plants to do yeah. it. They get you yeah. a really good deal with yeah. uh, LP covers. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I really like doing crazy packaging, but uh, yeah. when it comes to LPs, they're already too expensive. Yeah, it's. An, I mean, especially in these days where everything is so expensive to do, yeah. pressing. But like, yeah, Stoughton did that for us. I think I like if I said there was a hundred emails back and forth and trying to make that one happen, like because that was definitely like that was like, okay, how far can we take this before like we break the presses? There, um, so we learned a lot from that release. So when we got to the, the musical Transonica one, we knew how to properly set up the file. Like I thought I was setting up the files like normal. Yeah. And then Stoughton looked at them for the Asim Mothers one. And they were just like, these are terrible. And I'm like, what's terrible about them? Like, this is a good file. Everything's clean. Everything's half tones. Like, and it's properly done. Like it's bitmap. And they're like, no, you need to like, we need to break this out even further. You know, like it was like a deep dive oh. education with one of their old press. I think he's still there. I, I think he might've retired, but I think he's still there. Where, where are they located? They're in Los Angeles. So, oh. like, sometimes I would be working at 10, 11 o'clock at night yeah. with a guy in Los Angeles at 8 o'clock at night who also wants to be going home. I also want to be going to bed. And we're talking about how we're going to make this, like, album happen, you know? And I think both, like, all three of our brains were, like, about to break on that record. <laughs> and then so the, we get the it black, in the end and it looks fantastic, you know? The Black Editions guys and the VDSQ guys, they're out... <laughs> They're in LA too. They're in LA too. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. they can go to the shop if they need to. Like, is that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They go like, yeah. <laughs> Rob goes and picks up everything. Like he yeah, he drives yeah. his car over there and picks up all the records, kind of thing when they're done. Does he go there when they're setting stuff up just to like check test prints and stuff or no? Um, Peter does. Yeah, because Peter loves. Like, I mean, I would love to get out there someday and see like what their whole setup is. Just yeah. from my background being at that place in Rochester at a time, like I know what it takes to like make something print but Stoughton's like a whole nother level you know it's like they're doing the um uh geez my brain's broken i haven't had enough coffee this morning but i mean um, they do direct is it all direct imaging now like offset kind of or are people still making plates and stuff like that like old school uh, i don't know what they're doing there to be honest i don't think they make plates anymore yeah 
when I, I went to RT and RT is a big printing yeah. program, like it yeah. was, I think it was the biggest printing program in the U S yeah. I took some That's printing classes they, on the side as like a little, not a minor, but you know, yeah. I don't know, 12, 16 credits or something. Yeah. And that's where I learned about like flexology, flexography, yeah. which was, yeah. you know, at the time, like my teacher was like, there's three ways to print. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Offset litho, flexography. I think yeah. silk screening was maybe in there. Yeah. That was it. Like that's how we described yeah. it. Um, uh, maybe letter, letterpress might've been in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. They might have one there. Yeah. But they, I remember at the time they just got a direct, a digital direct imaging press. Yeah on campus yeah it was like one of the few in the area yeah yeah uh, and they were just starting to mess with that and the idea of being able to do that was a big deal you know because it yeah. was quicker and less error prone and you mm. know yeah i'm not sure i mean that's one thing i haven't seen in the video because they just show you the press they don't show you the plates but or what they're doing on there. But like the place I was at in Rochester, everything was plates. I got to see plates being made. <laughs> One of the crazy things was like this guy I worked with is like this old German dude. And I, when I say old, he was probably 80 when he worked there, but he like legit was color perfect. Like he could tell you what a color was. Like he would look at something and be like, mm, that's Pantone 143. Like in like, it was spot on. Like his sense of color was amazing. And spending time with him and like hearing what his story was, basically he like went to school in Germany. Like, I don't think he was at one of the, like, you know, the crazy German design schools, but like learned the trade of printing, but it was so color sensitive that like he has all the, he made all his like own color books, you know, like he spent time making his own color swatch books. <laughs> That's the way to put it. Like it was surreal. And he brought him into work one day and they were like, you know, stuff from like the fifties, sixties kind of thing that he made. And it was all handmade and all hand done, like all the colors. Like I think Sacred Bones has done a release. I can't remember the name of the woman, but it's very similar. Her book is very similar to like what I saw from him. Um, all just very, like, it's just, you know, yes, that book. <laughs> he had his own version of that. Yeah. Yeah. Emily, Emily Noyes Vanderpool. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is something I forget. A label, I think, put this out. Um, I think it was Sacred Bones. Sacred along Bones. With, yeah, um, Sacred Bones and somebody else. Uh, Circadian. Yeah, which is. Um, yes, yeah. I can't think of what his name. It starts with Kieran, Kieran or something like that. It's the guy's name that runs that one. <clears throat> um, yeah, so like, I don't know. I, I've had this insane background of like knowing how to do print. And like, Stoughton was like the one that like I got my second schooling of working. Yeah. In print because they were just like you can't do it this way and i'm like but this is normal and they're like no you got to set up that way like this yeah. one needs to be set up that way and like and then when we got to the music of transonica one which was like five pantone colors with like a metallic color and a gloss hit we knew what we were doing we like handed over those files and like we're just like we know what we're doing we're yeah. not gonna be up at like midnight like breaking our brains on like that five spot colors on top of process or no or just they were, uh, was all spot colors? that one no we only did process on this insert okay. for music of transonica and i actually like looking back at it when we got the final ones i kind of wish we did a pantone color on that one because then they would have matched all completely it's like when you oh, pull yeah. it up and put it side by side like this is me emitting like oh things that some people might not notice but like if you put them side by side the red from the insert doesn't match the red yeah right on the front yeah. cover even though it's the same build and everything like that it's just the way presses work yeah 
deeper you get, the red gets a little bit softer and then, then they got a lot more red into the machine or whatever, you know, or like bump it up. And it's wild to see like different files from different designers because I'll get something like I'm working on something with Light in the Attic right now and a designer designed it like 15 years ago and I'm redesigning it, updating it. And I'm looking at their files and I was like, what the fuck happened here? Like, what did you do? <laughs> like, why did you set it up this way? And it's just like the way like technology has changed over time. It's like easier to do some things now than it was to 15 years ago with the programs. But at the same time, like I've gotten to work with like people like David Yao from Jesus Lizard. He's a crazy Photoshopper. And he's sent me layered files for stuff that we've looked at. And I'll go through his files just out of curiosity. It's not like trying to like figure out like how I can do this myself. Cause like, I know his level of like attention to Photoshop is way different than mine, but I want to see like how he's done certain things. So like I'm turning off things on different layers or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, Holy crap. I didn't even know you could do this. Like weird shit that like, I didn't know existed in Photoshop, you know, like that, like I can see in other people's files. Like, so when you get something that properly does it the right way, it's amazing to dissect their file and like, you know, mutual respect kind of situation (laughs) it's surreal like i mean going back to like you mentioned like a handful records being like on your best of list like i i don't advertise i don't like my advertising is just like having my instagram of like oh i worked with these people like this is something i've done you know and it's worked in my favor like of being lucky to work with the people i've worked with um i don't know which ones are going to be the ones that people like freak out about you know like Garcia people's like I said are not like a home name like not every house every person knows about them but like people see that record like oh I saw you did the Garcia people's record I have a band would you work with me kind of thing and it's like you know if I like their music and I think they're an interesting person then usually the answer is yes you know Um, I have been recently kind of like turning down some stuff because I just don't have the time to tackle like everything like I wish there was like more time in the day but like at the same time, I'm still a father. I'm still a husband. We were <laughs> teachers until recently. Like, as of, like, last week, you know, we don't have kids that we have to teach every day anymore. <laughs> I, I learned I'm not a good teacher. <laughs> like, I'm just not. This is just not what I'm supposed to do. The funny thing that happened in the last 24 hours is that now that the kids are both in school, the, the teachers are seeing, like, the kids every day. So my daughter's teacher noticed the shirt that my son was wearing which was a fish shirt and it was like this funky colorado 80 88 or 90 i can't remember which date it is 88 i guess um shirt and it's really weird it's got mountains there's like a bowl there's like a dude with a nose walking just a very bizarre shirt (laughs) and she like stopped my son and was like hey like who did that shirt like and he's like oh my dad did it and uh so my daughter comes home last night she's telling me the story and she's like yeah my teacher decided after she saw your instagram and uh saw the artwork that she did that you've done that she wants to do like a chapter on surreal art and i'm like oh shit you're fucked (laughs) i'm sorry like did not anticipate like that going that way but it's like it would have happened you know, if this didn't happen, you know, like a year ago, like she would just been like, you know, I was just another kid walking down the hall. Yeah. And my son's walking down the hall with his class. And she's like, Oh, you're Emmett, you're Maggie's daughter or brother. And uh, like, what's up with your shirt? And then, (laughs) cause you know, you're, you're recognizing more like what's in your surroundings these days and all that kind of stuff. But 
I don't know what that's going to entail. I'm very curious of what this chapter that I'm influencing. <laughs> like, I don't know if it's a good thing. I don't know if it's a bad thing. I really might have just screwed my kids by being who I am. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. We shall see. I don't anticipate me being doing a Zoom with a class to talk. I hope not. I don't know. I really hope I don't have to do it. Like, it might be like this where I say a curse word or whatever, and they'll be like, all right, he's got to go. He's on here. <laughs> but, like, it's a seven-second uh, delay for Zoom. And I mean, I've had like various people approach me about like being like teaching them various things on design. And I'm just like, like, I would love to, if I had more time, B, I feel like I've learned everything recently in the last, like post-college, I've almost been like self-taught because it was just more of like finding out what works for me slash having happy errors that like resulted in something that I pursued further, you know, like going back to like posters I did for like sunburn or wolf eyes or whatever, like some of the stuff that like how it printed or how it looked was never intentional. It was just more like, you know, Oh, that looked kind of interesting. And then it got damaged or whatever it was. And like, you know, I feel like I've like one, like worked my way into this having a career of like built on like lies in some weird way where it's just like, I, they're like, Oh, you're super talented. I'm like, now I'm constantly making mistakes that result in like something else, you know? Or like, yeah, it's like, I like, I look at it like design is almost being like free jazz. Like you never know what's going to happen the next moment. And then like, you know, it's like allowing it to like ride the wave and like allow it to like dictate naturally where it's supposed to go instead of like forcing it into something, you know, Um, it works for some people. It doesn't work for other people. I've had people be like, teach me about type. And I'm like, my type design is just me like having a curiosity in a collecting type books, B seeing what is out there, like personally in like the world, you know, like I'll like walk by a restaurant and like the type is damaged on their sign. So I'll take a photo of it. And it's like, Oh, what is that typeface? Like how did it get messed up because of the weather or like some other kid like scratched it with a key or whatever it is. Like there's stupid stuff like that. That's like made it into poster art of mine from an iphone yeah and it's like how did like i take that photo i take it home i damage it even further i run it through like whatever i want to run it into and then i turn it into like what i consider art i don't know (laughs) like most of my clients are like either psychedelic band or they're a country band that's what i'm realizing (laughs) or like all country or whatever you want to call it which is totally fine because i love that music and i want to do more jazz stuff on top of it but um it's you know, like, that's the great thing about design is you can kind of be like a chameleon in a way of like, you know, I can work in this style, I can work in that style. And it's like, especially like with like, you know, doing stuff with like light in the attic, a lot of times I don't get to do my own personal stuff. Like it's more about like replicating like the Nancy Sinatra stuff that I did is like trying to figure out what the typefaces are that were used like in the sixties and stuff like that, matching them and making sure like, you know, it's a cohesive, interesting piece to look at. And it's not just kind of like sloppily put together, which you can see in a lot of old nineties reissues, CDs and stuff like that. Like it's primitive. It's not that great. Um, But like, I definitely like want to do more stuff like Garcia Peebles and Silver Schools. Like I have one that I'm working on with, I can't say who the artist is, but I can say it's coming out of third man records. And like, um, it's, it's going to be four records. It's gigantic. I'm so I'm trying to do it over four records. I went from doing like 
a singular record <laughs> like yeah. that's like front is that a, a box set or four individual records in the series it, they will be sold individually but it will be a box set too yeah so like you're doing you all, to, all the packaging and everything or yeah that's the plan yeah, yeah. like awesome. it's it's slow going just because of the way that it's the artists that we're working with but um hopefully it'll come out by the end of the year fingers crossed it's like in a really good spot right now they could kind of go to print just the covers at least but um it's like you know it's almost like an old garbage pail kids way where it's like you got to put the cards side by side uh, that's awesome. which is like really fun like they were like they pitched it to me and i'm like yeah i'll do that yeah like i didn't flinch about it they were like yeah we were thinking about doing like four different covers that like melt into one big cover and i'm like okay yeah all right and they were like <laughs> for real and i'm like yeah i'll do it it's a challenge thought they were gonna get pushback yeah they were just like oh they thought it'd be like oh that's impossible to do because like they had referenced like the garcia people's one and the silver scrolls they were like we really liked how you did this yeah like front to back and i was like yeah let's do four let's do four up and see like what happens and it's difficult like i did the initial layout i did one round on it and they were like this is really good like maybe we scrap that maybe we scrap this and like had something here and then i did a whole nother round that like looks similar i got more color up more elements more design to it but like stripped back at the same time so like each record will have its own look and feel but like when you put it together it's kind of like you know um a garbage bill kid card on the back yeah. or so each individual one fold outs you know like that yeah. kind of stuff but when you're looking at each individual one it doesn't feel yeah. like you're only looking at part of a image yeah it's its yeah. own individual yeah, like yeah, record awesome. it's hard to do like i like i haven't looked at the file in two weeks and like i'll probably open it up and be like oh i want to change this or change that and we even still like we don't even have an album title for it yet so like if that like put an album title on it might even like change it oh as yeah, well. yeah, yeah like once that like that additional type comes in like that might not depending on the length of the title it might not work with yeah. what i have currently laid out so it might transition even further but <laughs> that's that's the fun part you know what other uh items do you have coming up that you can talk about <laughs> uh well now i think record store day is going to announce this week so depending when you release this we might have to beep them or not but there's three different things that will be announced shortly um first one there's a release of the other music documentary coming out so there'll be a physical release of that oh awesome. um which is really cool um I don't know if you've seen the documentary. I did, yeah. I, I assume you went to other music like I yep. did. Like, yeah. Uh, so it'll be a, a DVD, Blue, Blu-ray? I can't remember which. I can't remember if it was DVD or Blu-ray. It might be DVD. Um, and then a record with it with a bunch of the bands that were like, okay. so there's like a Yola Tango track. There's like um, Animal Collective, Sharon Ivan, Ian. Um, I think there's, yeah, there's a Neutral Milk Hotel on it. Beans from like Andy Pop Consortium. Uh couple other people i can't think off the top of my head um i did a project with adam downey from northern spy so i don't know if you remember this album from the 90s like is it mid 90s maybe late 90s but it was a thai elephant orchestra so it was these elephants in thailand they like played like kind of like almost like new age music like they gave them all this instruments and they made an album from it i think i i'm I'm thinking of the the thai elephant painting dudes (laughs) <laughs> similar similar thing actually same, same yeah. elephants different artistic realm um so it's like an album i can't remember who put it out back i don't think zadek put it out yeah it might have been knitting factory or something to put the original one out sure. 
Um, so it's an LP version of that, which came out really good. I redid the artwork. We used the original artwork, but I redid it basically like kind of made it more interesting. Looks a more like private press, like something you might find from like, I don't know if you've seen like um, 60s records from like China and Japan where like they took like they bootlegged the covers for like a Hendrix album or whatever and they don't look right. Like the colors aren't right or like the type's not right. Like it's their own, like basically they kind of had their own ability to do their own design over there. Yeah. A, because it's bootlegged. B, because nobody cared or whatever. Um, so that's coming out. And then... Um, the third one is this really cool Rocky Erickson one that's coming out. So it's actually a comp of like a bunch of different artists. So it's like Margot Price with like Wilco or sorry, not Wilco, Jeff Tweedy. Um, I think Leon Bridges is on it. More like mainstream artists doing Rocky covers, but like in an interesting way. Um, The cool thing about that is we actually got two photos that nobody's ever seen of Rocky that came from his son. And, um, they're just wild photos. They're like kind of definitely by the look at them, like Matt from light in the attic met his son. Cause Matt lives in Austin now. And we knew we were doing this release. So he went and met with Jagger, his son. And, um, and uh, he had these photos that nobody's ever seen, but it looked like at some point somebody was like trying to do something with them. Cause they were like all folded over. It looked like somebody like tried to crop them or whatever it was. So they're pretty beat up, but they're really interesting. So we took those 60s photos that nobody's ever seen, and then we juxtaposition them with the more modern photos that were from his last album. So like the cover is like the two old photos, and the inside, the gatefold portion is like the modern photos, but it's like um, Rocky in his 70s, you know, and then it's Rocky in his 20s on the front. So it's a really, it's it came out really well. It's like gold and black and purple. It's like this really funky album cover. Um, I had three days to put that together. That was literally like last minute because we were trying to get like a different photo from a different photographer and it didn't work out. And literally we're like down to the minute where like A to Z Media who does a lot of stuff for Records for a Day was like, if you don't get these on a Wednesday morning, like this is just not gonna come out kind of situation. Yeah. Like it just won't make the Records for a Day like schedule. And we literally like slipped it in at like 10 a.m. on a Wednesday after working on it like all weekend. <laughs> like it was literally like I had David Yao was working for us on a Friday night and I'm like sitting like texting back and sending him emails like, yep, that looks good. That looks good. Like just remove this, add that, whatever it is. Saturday morning, woke up, did the whole layout, sent it over for approval to like for Light in the Attic along with like the guy that handles like uh, Rocky's estate and all that kind of stuff. So those are three that'll get announced this week. The blue, I don't know if you saw, there's a blue jean tyranny thing that came, uh, got announced on Friday with yeah. Unseen Worlds. So it was a six CD box set that's like collecting a lot of his uh, prior old art or prior music. Um, I think it goes back to like 72, 73, all the way up to like, you know, a few years ago. Um, we actually kind of finished that one at, just before he passed away in the fall. So I don't think he saw it as far as I know. I didn't actually didn't know until recently he was, he's considered blind. So I don't think, I don't, I don't think Tommy showed it to him before he passed, unfortunately, but it came out really cool. Like the photography we had to work with was by this guy named, Oh God, what's his name? Do you remember this book from like the eighties called ghosts? It was like all about like, um 19 like 40s like planes like army planes and stuff like that no 
um, I, I kind of remember it because my grandfather had this book, but it was like really kind of like surrealist photography taken of like 40s and like 50s planes from like the army and, you know, um, Navy and all that kind of stuff. And so this guy's like really well known for this photography. It was like a pretty famous book back then. Um, but at the time, back in the 70s, he was shooting for like Mother Jones magazine. Mm. So he had this whole series of photography taken at like a circus that's just like amazing just like i'll send you a photo of it but the photography is like absolutely wild like just really interesting like um angles and things of that sort like you know guys with like swords like sticking out of their throats and like people like walking on like a tightrope and a guy like in a gorilla suit and all it's just like very like very old school like 70s 60s um circus that like stuff that you wouldn't really see these days um and then build like a whole package around like you know trying to find topography that like you might find like on old circus like posters and things of that sort so mm-hmm. it was really a wild project like the colors are like just kind of insane they don't like the palette was built off like the photography um the type is really wild and it's cd which i love not many people are doing cds at this yeah. point like <laughs> but like doing six cds is much more economical than doing like 12 records yeah um especially with somebody like blue who's like you know he's he's known but like you know who's gonna buy who's gonna spend like 300 bucks like on 12 records you know right like, right, right. Kind of insanity. um especially a box of these days but um You've more, yeah. uh, you do more work for Black Editions and VDSQ. Yeah, there's a handful of records. There's, <laughs> there's seven of them for them. <laughs> and I think that well, you might start seeing some of those late this year. I'm not necessarily sure at this point, just because of what production schedules are. Yeah. And plus, we haven't finished the artwork. We did one round and we kind of like stopped. So, yeah. Um, there's stuff with them. There's stuff. There's a whole bunch of stuff with Light in the Attic between like Nancy Sancho reissues to like some other things that are coming on. There's another Garcia Peoples. I haven't started it. It's the one okay. with Matt Sweeney. They did all with Matt Sweeney. Oh. Um, and uh, what else is there? I then asked Daryl about the Rob Noyes cover art that he just did for VDSQ. Yeah. I knew about that one for a while because I was working with Rob at Force Disposure and had seen him around town, seen like some shows, did some stuff with him, other releases. And he, I knew about the record and then all of a sudden like ended up on VDSQ and he's like, and him and Rob were just like, yeah, we want you to do the artwork. Or sorry, why do I keep on saying Rob? Steve. Yeah. Steve from um, uh, VDSQ. And um, Rob Carmichael's the other designer. Like the two of us kind of like split the stuff that comes out on that record label or the two record labels. Um, so Steve was like, oh, I want you to do the artwork. And Rob wants you to do the artwork. And we spent, that one was a long time. We spent a lot of time on that record to try to figure out what that would look like. So yeah, we knew yeah. we kind of wanted it to look cir- like a circular kind of look to play off the our idea of arc. And then we knew we wanted to have a lot of textures, but trying to find like the original source image for that was like difficult. And so like the back cover is the source image, but then all the texture that's on the front is just blown up portions of that like circle that's within the structure yeah. there. And what and is that, you, that type? Um, did you just hand do that or? No, that was a found type too. That was like an really? old, I think that... That might have been from the ledger set book. I think that's a ledger set type. Correctly, <laughs> um, I didn't augment it too much. I just kind of scanned it in and just like you know hand hand in quotations like laid it out. You know yeah. how I wanted it to look like, 
but we went through like a bunch of different iterations of how the type looked like i think we probably spent more time on the type than we actually did on the cover itself because we couldn't figure out like the right one and that was like the one that we ended up going with is one of the first ones i used and i kept going back to it i was just like i think this one looks really good like i just liked how it had like the rounded edges but it was still kind of angular mm-hmm. and um after we went through a bunch of other ones everybody agreed like that's the one you know sometimes that's the case is like you got to see it like with 10 different typefaces on it to realize yeah, like yeah. the other ones are not going to work you know i've done recording sessions like that where we'll do like yeah four different overdubs and then we end up with the scratch guitar yeah the best because it just looks yeah Yeah. sometimes it's okay sometimes you can't force it yeah yeah um yeah rob's like that one was like fantastic that's like one of my between that i guess i've done four or five things on that label now like it's a hard like because they're all like so varied like the acid mothers and music of transonica stuff is like such a different like realm than the patrick shiroshi and like rob's albums like they're just light and day kind of like in design but um those guys just they want to do weird things so i'm down you know like i'm always like down to take it a little bit further <laughs> so it's, uh, it's two guys that run the three labels is that how it works yeah so it's steve steve's had bdsq forever okay steve also put out like that major stars slash like um comics on fire album like 15 years ago somewhere okay. in there. like that was like another label that he had at one point um and then he was living in New York city at that time, went to LA. And I think that's how he met Peter was out there. Peter was like starting black editions okay. and then Steve already had VDSQ, but then thin riffs thin wrist. Thin wrist was started two years ago, three years ago. I don't know actually what the first release on there. I don't know if it's a $75 bill is the first release on there. It might be that one. It's like the rhythm one. Um, yeah, that one. Look at that. It's yeah. something I, meaning to buy yeah i would grab that one that's a really yeah. i mean all their stuff like i mean it's i came across that label from their solo the acoustic solo series yeah yeah um, i mean there was like the initial like because there's the michael chapman one i think there's a thurston moore one there's uh there's a i mean i don't there's, know there's a tashi Gorgi one yeah there's like a weird mixture of folks on there not weird like for picking but just like a wild variety of folks yeah um and i love yeah I, I mean i dig the overall series design of that yeah. too they're just yeah like, yeah the guitar monochromatic yeah. you know yeah and now pete like basically peter handles all the design stuff so i work almost strictly with peter on design stuff steve will have like i'll take an eye and look at stuff too but steve basically like handles all the like the logistical side of shit and then peter's doing the design and production all that kind of stuff so it's a it's a they're insane dudes to work with because they're just like always trying to push forward it's a small label and it's like in some cases micro releases but um they treat everything like it's like you know at the top of the the pyramid you know they want everything to look good you know like the 75 dollar bill ones that come out they have like really wild amazing like textured packages that they do um yeah they're just anytime something comes from them i'm like sure let's do it let's figure it out <laughs> so All right, cool, man. Thanks again. No problem. Have a good day. All right, you too. Bye. All right, take care. Hey, I want to thank uh, Daryl again for uh, doing that podcast and being a great sport. Uh, Full disclosure, we had to do that podcast twice because I screwed up the first time. (laughs) Uh, The audio was all messed up on my end. Uh, And he was a great sport, and we did it again. Um, And actually, uh, you know, covered some topics we didn't cover the first time around. 
but a uh, great guy. Um, I have a bunch of links in the show notes to um, records and labels that he's worked on, as well as his own personal accounts, like on Instagram, well, his design account on Instagram and his website. So uh, check those out. Check out the labels. Check out the various bands uh, that he's done work for and the labels, and they're, they're just all great. He's got a ton of stuff coming out, like he said in the uh, podcast. A few things got, re, uh, got announced this week, uh, just yesterday. Well, whenever you're listening to this, uh, just got announced for Record Store Day 2011, which is two dates in, I think, June and July. So there's a ton of records coming out uh, that he's involved in, and uh, he kind of alluded to some other records for um, Black Editions coming down the road. So I'm super psyched about those, whatever those are going to be, because uh, that label just kills it, putting out great reissues. So anyway, uh, thanks again, Daryl. Uh, we're going to end today's show with... Um, couple more records that he worked on uh this one in the background you're hearing is silver scrolls on three lobed after that it's going to be garcia peoples and then we're going to end with uh, rob noyes uh and i'll have links uh all the playlist and the links will be in the uh, show notes so check those out thanks for listening um make sure you subscribe if you're not subscribed uh via apple podcast and up on mixcloud.com slash carbon joe tunis tell your friends write and review us all that jazz all right, uh, have a great one. Uh, the next episode, I have uh, an interview with Eric Hardeman of uh, Spiral Wave Nomads, Burnt Hills, Rambutan, the Tape Drift label, and a whole slew of other acts that he's in. So uh, we had a great interview, and I'm going to have that up, uh, you know, probably in another week or so. So uh, keep your eyes up for that. Eric's a great guy and a super interesting interview that, uh, that he was kind enough to give me. All right, have a good one and uh, enjoy this. Take care. Bye.